0: Morning. morning, lovely to be together on a cold Sunday morning isn't it, yeah. although nobody's complaining about the rain for once,
1: <laughs>
0: we all desperately need it. Now if you're visiting with us and if you've always been with us the last couple of weeks you know we're in a series on the book of Acts and today is the third Sunday in that series and I'm going to tell you to do something that is probably impossible to do but don't look at what's on the screen right now. Because that's the thing you want to do. But a question to ask is, when we think about Jesus, what do you think about? Give me some, shout out some answers. The
1: The cross. Love. Love. Nature. nature. Kindness. Kindness.
0: Miracles. Mm -hmm. If you're anything like me, those are some of the answers and some of the things you think of. The one thing I hardly ever thought about when I thought about Jesus was his actual ascension to heaven not something that pops to the top of our minds, is it, when we consider Jesus? We think about his life, we think about how he was crucified, we think about the amazing fact that he rose from the dead, but we don't often contemplate the fact that he, once he came back from the dead, spent time with his disciples, he actually ascended to heaven again. And we kind of relegate that to a, maybe even a footnote or a kind of a side thing in, in Jesus' story. But this morning we're gonna explore that and see how it actually is a very core and key element to Jesus' whole story and to us understanding who Jesus actually is. But before we do that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we are grateful that you are so powerful, Father. We're grateful that as New prayed this morning, Father, only you can produce water. And you know, we have so much technology and we have science and we have amazing things. But You are the only one who can actually create water, Father, and we thank you for this rain this morning, just as a reminder of how great and how powerful you are, Father. We come here because we want to learn from you, about you, and to understand your plan for our lives, Father. I pray that as I speak this morning, that you, Holy Spirit, will give me the words and the power and the energy to speak, and that ultimately our hearts and our our minds will be moved by your word, and that all the glory and honour will be yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so picture the scenario. Okay, Jesus, the disciples walked with Jesus, they suffered through the fact that he was murdered on the cross, then they got really joyful because he rose from the dead, and he spent some time with them, and he came along, and suddenly Jesus is back, and he's here, and he's with us. Imagine that, just picture that, Jesus is here, he's in this room, he's with us in his physical resurrected form. Now, if you're anything like those disciples, or like me, and I'm pretty sure that they were too, they're thinking, awesome, Jesus is risen, He's here, He's back, and He's going to lead us on this mission to do what we need to do. Because what better than that? He is Jesus, He rose from the dead, He's going to stick around, and He's going to lead this movement. He's going to start the church, He's going to be here with us. And then He says, hang on, boys and girls, I'm actually going to be... I'm going to be leaving. I'm not going to stick around to lead this. You guys are going to do this. And in fact, as we go along, we'll see that Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I go. And I'm sure they must have been just a little bit confused because surely it's Jesus. You would lead this thing. And we'll look at understanding why that is that he did that. And Luke is kind of the only of the writers who mentions how long Jesus spent. He spent 40 days with his disciples after his resurrection before he ascended to heaven. And we're going to look at exactly why and the significance of the ascension. And as you can see there the key scripture this morning is Acts 1 verses 1 to 11. Let's jump right into that. Luke the writer of Acts says, in my former book Theophilus I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. It's an interesting pause there. Began to do and to teach. He started something. Until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, vision of the Messiah, the teachings of the Messiah throughout the Old Testament, it's been passed down from generation to generation, and here he is. So that's the logical question, isn't it? You're here, you've done all these things, you've risen from the dead, you're back with us, are you now going to restore the kingdom of Israel, here and now, physically? This is what they expected, that he would then restore the kingdom and unite all the tribes in one again. Carry on, from verse 7. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, When suddenly two men dressed in white, angels, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Again, this is obviously the last time Jesus is seen on earth in physical form, in his human fleshly form. And there two kind of key perspectives on on what those last words were, Luke and Matthew say it kind of differently. In Luke you'll see him saying that repentance will be preached in his name, basically throughout the earth. And Matthew, famously as we know, says, go and make disciples of all nations. Again, effectively saying the same thing. Two little perspectives on, on what Jesus said just before he left. And then after leaving those words, he ascended, as we can see the picture here. Now we've all watched lots of movies, so I'm sure you've got an image in your mind of what that looks like. You know, maybe slow with light and at some point it blinds you and there's some dramatic music playing in the background. (laughs) However you picture it, Jesus ascended into heaven and it was a seriously momentous occasion and an important one. Think about who is witnessing this, okay, just for a moment. The apostles, the people who were closest to Jesus, people he'd been teaching, who'd been working with him. Now, would you describe them as a perfect bunch of people? Far from it. And you in one of his messages mentioned them, described them as a motley crew. It's like a rag, rag, bunch of people, some more educated, some uneducated, just messing up all the time, doing all sorts of weird things. And this was the group that was going to launch this movement that would change the world forever. How do you go from being that ragtag bunch to being a group of people that did in fact change the world forever? And how do we know they did? Because we're sitting here this morning. That was part of the effect that they had. So what changed from this moment where they were standing there and Jesus ascending to him going out with such power and making all of these changes and having this impact in the world? In that we look at what the advantages of the ascension. In John twenty, verse seventeen, Jesus says, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Mary's kind of clinging to him, being excited that he's back. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. See, Jesus said, It's not time to hold on to me yet. I'm still here in my physical form. There's more to come. John 16, verse 7, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Again, we think, surely Jesus here and now is better for us than Jesus somewhere else. Okay, That's how we focus sometimes. That's how we operate. Our leader, our king here and now must be better than him somewhere else. But he himself tells us, it's for your good that I'm leaving. I'm going away to make things better for you. Counterintuitive, isn't it? But we'll, look, we'll run through eight quick points on why exactly it is in fact better for us. The first thing is, Jesus ascending means limitless Jesus for us and through us. Okay? Now, it might sound weird to say Jesus limited, now he's not limited. But he chose to limit himself when he came in human form, isn't it? He became fully flesh. He was just as human as you or me. Yes, He was God and flesh at the same time, but he still had limits of a physical body. So while it might seem that we've lost something by not having Jesus physically with us, we've actually gained immeasurably more. Because he is now unlimited by time, space, geography, any of those other things. There are no more restrictions. He's having conversations and closeness with Bongani, while at the same time having intimate relationship with Natalie and still working in Kuda's life, all at the same time. While doing that with Steve and Eileen in Florida, miles away, and Shawnee and Lindsay in Santa Fe. He physically could not do that when he was here in human form. Yet now being limitless, he can do all of those things for us and through us at the same time. John 14:12 says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. Now, here's the key thing, and this first point and the last point kind of hang together very nicely. But it all starts with this. Do we truly believe that we will do even greater things than what Jesus did when he was here on earth? Jesus did some pretty amazing things when he was on earth, didn't he? But he himself says we can do greater things. Who do we believe? The doubt in our own minds is says, Jesus, you know me. I can't do greater things than you. Or him who knows me even better than I know myself. Who understands that I can, in fact, do greater things. Not because we are suddenly these amazing people. Jesus essentially didn't suddenly flip a switch and make us better. But because he's ascended and he can do all these things, he's limitless. And as we'll see later, also because his ascension meant he could send the Holy Spirit to us. We'll look at that in a little more detail in one of the following points. But here's the key question to ask ourselves. Do I truly believe this? Do I believe that? Now, an example i thought about is, you know, when you're living with your parents, okay, you kind of have things that you're expected to do. Okay? Certain things are your responsibilities. And they're key to the functioning of the household and they need to be done. And of course, when we were living with our parents, we always did all of those things. Hmm.
1: <laughs>
0: not at all. Sometimes we didn't do them. And yes, we might have gotten into trouble for not doing them, but what happened if we didn't do them? Parents did them. Somebody else did it. Okay? And for me, Jesus being physically here kind of has a parallel to that. While he was physically here, yes, maybe proclaiming him and talking about him and meeting people and all those things was one of my responsibilities, but if I didn't do it, he'd take care of it anyway. Now he's leaving this bunch and they're saying, I'm not walking with you anymore. I'm not showing people God anymore. I'm not physically being this example. That's now on you. And there is no backup plan. There is no fail-safe anymore. This is on you. And we've got to believe that we can do greater things to be able to do that. Because just the one thing is, if we don't do it, it ain't going to get done. And that is the truth that we have to come to. But the awesome thing is, he says we can do even greater things. John 14, verses 15 to 21, says the following, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. See, to do even greater things, what we got to do is remain in Jesus. Believe Him. Hold to what he's taught us. And we can do more than he did while he was on earth. Why? Because it's me plus Jesus. That's kind of that synergistic effect. One plus one equals three. Me plus Jesus can do even greater things than Jesus did when he was on earth in his human form. Just as the disciples did when he left them behind. Think about it. They could have been there feeling sorry for themselves. Being disappointed. Being disappointed. We've gone through all of this. Our leader came back and then he left. I give up. They didn't. They were energized by it. They believed what he taught. And they went on and they did even greater things. Jesus was limited geographically. In the centuries after that, the church spread throughout the world and still is spreading. So Jesus, limitless, is the first thing. The second thing is his ascension... Celebrates his coronation as king. We often use the term, he ascended the throne. You might say ascended to the throne. You have to go up and ascend to the throne. Not just the physical act of walking up to the throne like, you know, the kings and queens of England sometimes do and up to their throne to be crowned on the coronation day. Not just Jesus going up into the cloud, the physical act of ascending. He's going to be seated at the right hand of the Father, ascending to his throne. It actually physically happened. There's a representation of it. We could see it. We can read the accounts of it. Philippians 2 verses 9 to 11 says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father. See, when we read or think about the Ascension, we should think about our King being crowned, our King ascending the throne, having gone through all of those things. We have this King who reigns forever, and we can celebrate that with such joy. So the Ascension really shows us He is King, and He ascended His throne. Thirdly, it signals His powerful defeat of Satan. Ephesians 1, verses 18 to 21 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. I just want to pause there for a moment. That word hope, and we've mentioned this before, but I want to emphasize it now, is not this, I hope something good would happen. You know? I'm kind of not sure, but I think, hopefully... A, B or C will happen, that will make things better. Hope for them was a certainty that there was something better in Christ that was coming. Okay, That God's plan was coming to fruition and that was their definition of hope. It was a certainty, not a hope, not a a maybe. It was a certainty. But you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. Now, rule and authority there refers to the earthly rulers and authorities and everyone that he was then above. But the power and dominion we often kind of assume is the same. But that refers to... Satan and all the dark, the demonic, spiritual battle that was happening. So there's two aspects here. Jesus was over everything. He defeated Satan once and for all in this, in his ascension, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. And that's forever. Now Colossians 2 verse 15, I haven't put it up there, but it talks about he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to shame. Again, Jesus versus Satan, there's only one winner in that battle. And that fight's been won forever. Now, victory was secured in the cross. But the final victory, it's almost like victory part one and victory the sequel. (laughs) Part one was him winning that victory on the cross. And the final victory will come to realisation when he returns and restores all things. And Satan will be forgotten forever. His restored creation will be as it is. So while we live in that victory, we still await the final victory. But he has defeated Satan forever. And his ascension shows us that. Fourthly, so God left these people behind. okay? This group to start this movement. This movement we know as his church. But he didn't just leave it at that. God gives us as the head of our church, the head of all things, Jesus himself. We're not just a group of people. We are the body of Christ. He is our head. He is our leader. And because of that, we can live meaningful lives, making a difference in our mission. Ephesians 1 verse 22 to 23 says, And God placed all things under his feet, And appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Who leads our church? Who leads any church anywhere? The true church is only led by Jesus. He is the head of our church. And yet he uses human beings to facilitate things and to guide and to shepherd and to teach and to all those other things. But he is the head of the church. You know, if anyone asks you that question, you can comfortably say, who leads your church? You can say Jesus. And then maybe they can ask a follow-up question. I meant which person, but... The truest answer is, Jesus leads our church. And God instated that. He set it up. We are the body of Christ. Now, a church WhatsApp group is called Body of Christ. That's just not a cool nickname. It's a biblical description of who we are. We are the body of Christ. We are His family. And through that, and because of that, we live lives that make a difference. We live lives of consequence. Even through the challenges and the desperation and everything that the world will throw at us, we live lives that make a difference. In people's lives, in each other's lives, in our colleagues' lives, we can live lives that make a difference. So again, a group of people being asked, out here on this mission, and Jesus is the head and he says, off you go. Not quite. You see, the ascension allowed him to also send gifts to equip the church to do this mission. It's just amazing how God works, how Jesus works. He doesn't just send us off, but he always gives us all the tools we need to do what we have to do. Ephesians 4, verse 9 to 12 says, let's make sure I've got the right passage there. I do. What does he ascended mean? except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. He gives us the tools. He equips us all in order to build up the body of Christ. And what does that mean? It means within the family we encourage one another, we build one another up, we help each other in need, but we also build it up by adding to it, by bringing people who need Jesus into the body. So everyone is now equipped for what? For works of service. We're all equipped for works of service. Helping each other in our personal Bible study and our personal relationship with with God, but also interacting with each other to equip ourselves even more. Maybe the aspects of our ministry and of our spiritual walk that we're not so equipped in, are we seeking to become better equipped in those things? So a big question I want to challenge each and every one of us to ask ourselves is this, am I in some way actively seeking to be equipped for works of service? Can I actively, right now, as I said, can I say, I'm actively seeking to be equipped for works of service? Or is it just when it happens? Maybe it's that family group and it's midweek and it's Sunday. That's where my equipping happens, in between. Man, you don't understand, I've got a lot going on. Okay? Don't have time for this equipping thing. It's the most fundamental thing that we need to do as disciples, church. Is be equipping ourselves for these works of service. And then, having equipped ourselves, am I actually doing works of service? Because I'm wonderfully equipped now, I can do these things, but you know, i can to ask someone else this time, please. It's just not convenient for me. So am I actively seeking to be equipped for works of service, both in my personal relationship with God and seeking others out to teach me? All of us can learn from someone. There's some aspect of our character, of our ministry, of our works of service that we can become better at. And I guarantee you there's someone in our family who is already better at it than you. Not because they are better than you, but there's just a gift that they have that's more developed, that's better at it than what you are. So am I right now pursuing that? And if I'm not pursuing that, take your list of spiritual priorities and move this one right up to the top. Because you've got to be equipping yourself. You've got to be adding to our, our knowledge just Not just our head knowledge, but our heart knowledge and our motivation and our understanding of doing this thing for Jesus. He ascended to equip us so that we can do that. If we're not doing it, then let's back up and go, because all of this is pointless. It truly is. So we're doing all of these things, and of course, we're equipped now, so we do them all perfectly and we don't mess up at all, right? Not at all. We mess up, probably a lot. I know I mess up at least every single day. I haven't had a single day in my life where I haven't messed up in some small or big way. But Jesus has got our back now that he's in heaven. He's looking out for us. See, Satan is the great accuser, and he's the father of lies. And what he will do is, he will take that little thing you've messed up and say, it's over for you now. You're just disqualified from this heaven thing. Forget about the, the age to come. You done messed up. You can't go there now. And he does it in a subtle way where it kind of hurts you the most. He you finds your vulnerable spot and he goes there and he sticks that knife in and every time you move and you try and do something you just feel that little twinge. And he will continually accuse and do that. But what did we say a couple of points back? Jesus already defeated him, didn't he? Once and for all. We don't need to believe that nonsense anymore. We don't need to believe Satan's lies. Because Jesus continually intercedes with the Father on our behalf. When we mess up, Jesus is there, interceding, helping to restore that relationship with the Father. Romans 8 is always has been one of my favourite books of the Bible. And in verse 34 it says this, Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. He constantly pleads our case. Even when we seriously mess up, He's there to try and help us restore our relationship, to get back on track. Hebrews 4 verses 14 to 16 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We all sin. I hate to break it to you, but we all sin when we do, we have two choices. We can say, you know what, this is too hard for me, I can't do it. I've messed up too many times. The same sin happens over and over again. I'm never going to defeat it, I might as well just give up. God's never going to embrace me in in the age to come. But We have this high priest who understands what we're going through. Yes, he didn't give in to sin. He was God made flesh. But he understands the temptation. He understands the humanity of it. He gets it. And he's there to allow us to approach God's throne of grace with confidence. And I'm not saying for a second that, therefore, go and deliberately sin because God's grace covers that. We've covered this before, grace is not that. Okay? It doesn't work like that, it's not a license to sin, and then go and receive grace and you're cool again. Okay? There's no, no single aspect of God's grace that ever works that way. Okay. However, when we are trying but we do mess up, God's grace kicks in and because of Jesus and his ascension, we can approach His throne with confidence. I'm not looking at you know, going there sheepishly saying, you know, I'm I'm not worthy, I expect you to kick me out, God. Jesus is there saying, You know what? He's really trying hard and he will repent, Father. I don't know what the conversation looks like. It's complicated because it's the Trinity and one day we'll understand it. Don't need to understand it now. But Jesus is there cleaning our face, giving us the confidence to approach that throne and receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. And when is our time of need? When everything's going great and we're in a strong place spiritually and we're not standing at all? No, our time of need is when we're at our lowest spiritual point. We're setting up a storm and we just can't seem to break out of the cycle. We want to, but we just... No, I just messed up again. That's when we need this. That's when that confidence kicks in. It makes Satan's lies look stupid. makes them look ridiculous. Because we understand that our God, our King, is interceding for us. So he's always got our back. Not that it's a license for us to sin... But when we genuinely want to repent and we feel at this low point, He's got our back. The seventh point, and we've spent most of the year looking at this, is the Holy Spirit. Okay, That's why this was such a big transformation for these disciples, the apostles that followed Jesus. That's why they could go out and have this great impact on the world. And we've learned so much about Him already this year. John 7 verses 37-39 to says, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not been glorified. Now, It mentions it right here. At that time, no one had received the Spirit. Okay, now, you might say, that's not quite true. We've seen the Spirit working through people the Bible. The key there is, those were specific cases for specific purposes, and it wasn't a general receiving of the indwelling Spirit that we get now at baptism. Okay? So, yes, the Spirit worked in people, and people received the Spirit in specific cases before this, but no one had yet received it. As you can say there, it says, those who believed him were later to receive. So clearly they hadn't received the Spirit just yet. So this covenant, this new covenant that was Jesus was ushering in, was just, I guess, superior and, and just so much more permanent than the old covenant. It was different. The old covenant was awesome and it had its purpose. But this was the final covenant, the culmination of God's plan. That's why Jesus is able to say whoever is least in the kingdom is even greater than John the Baptist because of the Holy Spirit. Even the weakest of us greater than John the Baptist. You see how they're all weaving into each other or we could do more than what Jesus achieved when he was on earth. And I haven't put the scripture out there but he mentions that. We all be greater than John the Baptist. Think of the, the newest, weakest disciple you know they can stand up in confidence and say, I am greater than John the Baptist because of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. That's the power we have. That's the strength we have and that's the confidence we should have. And that's the power of the ascension. And then finally, the eighth point, And I said this links nicely with the first point. What was the first one? Do you still remember?
1: <laughs>
0: Believing that we could do more than Jesus did when he was here on earth in human form. Okay, we've got to believe that. Because what the Ascension did was launch us on the mission to proclaim the King. On telling the world about Jesus. Now you think about it. Jesus does all these things so much better in heaven, doesn't he? So much better now that he's at the right hand of the Father. He's more effective at communing with all of us at the same time or all of us whenever we have need. He's there interceding with the Father. Kind of. Whispering in his ear because he's right there at his right hand. Doing all of these things way more effectively. So then, why doesn't he just call us home too? Because we can do those things more effectively too. We can worship the Father 24-7. We do not need faith anymore because it'll be by sight. We'll see God. We'll experience that oneness. So just, Jesus, take us now. Isn't that just a better plan, a more effective plan? But there was one thing, and there's one thing that Jesus cannot do more effectively from heaven. And I use that term very broadly, whatever your interpretation of that would be. And there's one thing we can't do more effectively if we've been taken up. And that is simply proclaiming the King. If we were far away, how would we reach those who don't know Jesus? How would we get the message out there? Now remember we said, he's ascended to his throne he is the new king. He's been crowned. maybe if you look back and you study history and you look at ancient times, what's the one thing that happened when there was a new king? You'd have a herald or multiple heralds going out to different nations and all parts of the kingdom and saying, there is a new king. So and so is now the king. He has ascended the throne. Long live the king. And they would go all to all sorts of places and Make sure all the towns and villages and everyone knew that there was a new king. Okay? You couldn't just tweet hashtag new king. Okay. That didn't exist back there. You'd have to actually go out and say something and tell people. Age of the internet, you don't need to do that anymore. But you still gotta proclaim him. And that's part of our key role is proclaiming King Jesus. It was their purpose. This group of people that Jesus left behind. And now it's our purpose. See, we have the power. We have the knowledge. Hopefully we have the motivation. Because that's sometimes the one that's lacking. And we have the certainty to proclaim that there is a new king. That Jesus is king. That he ascended. That he is the ruler. That he is the only one worth bowing down to. The only one worth following a call to be aligned with His will and be on this mission with Him. He gave us the Holy Spirit. He ascended His throne so that we can become heralds, proclaiming His kingdom, proclaiming who we are, who He is, and who we are in Him. So ultimately, you can see all of these things and they build up, this belief that we can do things better. He's crowning His king his defeat of Satan, His intercession for us, His you know, all of these aspects, the Holy Spirit, they all lead off, up to this one thing: that we can proclaim the kingdom. That is our purpose. That is our goal. And that is the glory of the Ascension. We can point to that. No one else, in no other religion, can point to a God who came and walked among us, died for us, rose again, and then ascended is throne, and still sits there today and yet works among us. What an awesome story to tell. Why wouldn't we want to share that? We can share it with certainty. We can share it with confidence. We can share that with joy. And if we're not there right now and we see this as a daunting task, maybe it's because we're not getting properly equipped to do this. And maybe we just need to be having more conversations with each other. Not about the terrible rugby, but about... How we can, we can easily talk about those things that, oh, sheesh, that was so bad, and look at this weather, isn't the rain awesome? Mm-hmm. And we can say, isn't the rain that Jesus sent awesome? Yeah. Small little change, and yet here we're proclaiming the King. It's easy to work those things into our daily lives, but are we excited about proclaim, proclaiming the King? That is our purpose. So, church, when we, think about Jesus' story, I challenge us to think more, not just about those things that we've been taught all our lives and the things, the obvious things but let's celebrate his ascension because our king ascended the throne and we have an exciting story to tell we have an incredible proclamation to go out and make and through that someone proclaimed that to us, our lives were changed imagine how we can change others' lives for the better, help them to be part of the story, let's pray Heavenly Father, we are just... We always stand in awe of you, Father. We, we look at everything you have done and everything you continue to do and we just are grateful, Father. We're grateful for your mercy, for your grace, for the sacrifice of sending Jesus to, to die for us, to rise again, but also to ascend the throne that so we can look up and understand we have an incredible King. We have a King to to celebrate, to proclaim, to be excited about, to love, to honour, and that the glory, Father, will be yours. That you, Lord Jesus, will take that pride of place, that number one place in our lives and in our hearts and in our minds. And that others will see that, and that we'll be willing to open our mouths to how incredible King Jesus is. Now, you are the only one that we serve. And I pray that as we leave, we'll not be discouraged, but we'll be excited and encouraged by this news. They we'll be eager to do more than we have done with the confidence, Jesus, that you tell us that we can achieve more than you did. And I pray that through all of this, the glory and honour and praise will be yours.
1: In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you.